You know what I love about this shit? There's so much I love about it, you guys. I think Instagram is the coolest invention that's ever been made. I should reach out to the people who run Instagram and be like, you guys have changed my life. My guest today, Randy Lyons, is an example of somebody who I made this totally random connection with, somebody else who was like, oh, you should talk to this person and you should talk to Randy. And I'm so excited that happened. This is why I love doing this. I love connecting with people who are on the same wavelength. I love talking about addiction. I don't get to do it enough on this podcast. And this was a conversation where I got to totally geek out about something that I'm super passionate about. So today's guest is Randy Lyons, and he helps people struggling with addiction who want long-term holistic care. He draws upon his 24 years of successful sobriety, as well as his previous 17 years in active addiction, to offer his clients effective and compassionate treatment. So please, please, please enjoy my conversation with Randy Lyons. Hey, Randy, welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. How are you? Very good, Sarah. It's wonderful to be here. I'm laughing because right as we started recording, I was like, you ruined it, Randy. And I was just thinking about how my podcast editor says that I'm able to make friends quickly and easily. And I think that that was just a good example of like, I knew I could give you shit, even though we've only talked for literally like four minutes. And it worked perfectly. Absolutely. It shines right through. Yes. Well, I feel like especially people who work with addiction, there's a certain level of no bullshit that you like have to have in order to survive with that population. Wow. Yeah, that is a an awesome insight to begin with because it's so true. And yet at the same time, it's still a tightrope because mm-hmm. how do you present that no bullshit to somebody who needs the kid's gloves and mm-hmm. then swing it uh, the other way where maybe their partner or other person needs the tough love? Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful dance. Well, let's rewind and have you tell people who you are, because I have so much to say about even that little bitty thing you just said. I'm just so excited. I never get to talk to people about addiction on here. It's always just general healing, but addiction is like my passion. So I'm already freaking out, but tell people who you are and what you do. <laughs> sure. My name is Randy Lyons, and I help people struggling with addiction who want long-term holistic care. I have a business called alchemistrecovery.com. And what does that business entail? It is a long distance online services where I've just spent the last three years rewriting, repackaging the work Mm. that I've done for the previous 12 in the actual addiction treatment centers Mm -hmm. because I've noticed and I noticed that when I got sober 24 years ago now that there's still this from my perspective, a gap in service where Mm -hmm. you do this intense work while you're in treatment or you're in therapy. And then all of a sudden you're unleashed into the world and it's kind of like, now what? Right. And it's tough. So I developed this program to where it's one year and I release one lesson per week and we go through three simple principles about addiction over the course of an entire year. And mm. it is just my life's work. And it's what I love. And it's my passion. Yes, you're so right. And I was working with a business partner. And in that model, we were also trying to make sure that people are connected for an entire year. 
The problem with doing it in person is people just get tired of coming. But an online platform, however, I imagine if you can just sit in your underwear on the couch, that's much more appealing than having to go out and actually see a provider. I like the way you worded that. It's much right? more appealing sitting there on the couch in your underwear. Right. I've got those two images <laughs> in my head. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. So that's super awesome. So let's get back to we were talking about the no bullshit thing and how some people need the kid gloves and some people need the tough love. What I'm kind of tapping into and trying to figure out how do I articulate this and then use it for something is in psychological work. And especially with addiction, we're trying to build people's ego strength, right, to a certain extent where they can tolerate discomfort, tolerate challenging the ego, all of those things, right? And I feel like a lot of my clients enter with zero ego strength. And so I spend a lot of time building it up. But then what I find with people in longer term recovery is once you've got that ego built, that's when the spiritual work happens and you have to start breaking the ego down. And I've seen clients or friends even actually get stuck in that place where they're like, oh, I've done all my work. I know what my defects are and blah, 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 blah. But they don't go that next step of letting go of the ego. That is an amazing insight. I love the way you just explained that. Oh, I thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. From a Chinese medicine perspective, there is this protector around the heart called Mm -hmm. the pericardium. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty simple to picture. I'm Italian. I wave my hands. Uh, I do (laughs) use a lot of pictures. Uh It doesn't come through on a podcast, but... Right. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. But I love images. And that's why I really did that in my program where I was always drawing Mm -hmm. on boards and everything. So now I had a professional help me. But so there's this image of the pericardium around the heart. Mm -hmm. And for lack of a better term, that can be translated to psychology as the ego. Yeah. So what ends up happening is, is that there's some things that translate perfectly, some things that are a little bit loose, but this idea of the walls around the heart, and in some places, the walls are impenetrable, and they don't Mm -hmm. let in what's supposed to come in, and they don't let out what's supposed to go out. And then in other places, like the other example you gave, there's no walls, and they're wishy-washy. So the idea is that The pericardium is not bad. Mm -hmm. The pericardium is necessary, yet it's built upon old heartbreak. So it's Mm -hmm. about changing the orders to the pericardium. I like to think of the pericardium as the perfect martial samurai. You know, he's supposed Mm. to guard what's supposed to guard. And, Mm. you know, he's supposed to let in what we call the heart, the emperor. So Mm -hmm. the emperor is supposed to be seen, heard, expressed. So that's one perspective that I like to do. So it's this ever-changing pericardium. It's this ever-changing idea of the samurai, the guard at the door, so to speak. Yeah. So I had a podcast interview right before this, and I was literally talking about the same concept, but from a totally different lens. It's so fucking awesome that there are a trillion ways to get at the same thing. It just helps me really believe, first of all, and like everything's interconnected. And secondly, these answers, these are the answers. I know that we're not supposed to believe in one thing as being true, but when every road leads in the same direction, that's telling me that's that's a road I want to travel. Right. Truth, you know, there's a lot of ways to the top of the mountain, but they all crisscross a lot of times. 
Right. And that's a good way to think about it. I was talking about that with my therapist this morning because I'm like trying to figure out how to articulate concepts that aren't necessarily articulatable. That's not a word, but I just made it one in like a linear way. But I love the way you describe like there's a top to the mountain that we're all trying to get to, but all of the different paths and ways to get there are individual journeys. I like that. I'm going to steal that. You just helped me come up with that. <laughs> it's all yours. And for fair trade, I'm going to take articulatable. Yes. That's mine now. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to go back and get more of your story. So you got sober 24 years ago. I'm guessing that that was the beginning of your path towards working in the industry. Uh, kind of. Okay. Well, then start wherever you want to start. Well, I moved to L.A., like millions of other people in the mid 1980s from New York. I'm a New Yorker Ah. um, with a couple of other knuckleheads. And we got into a car, the whole story into it of itself, that it was called the prayer. And we made Mm. it to LA. We were going to become rock stars. Yep. Like we all were. Like we all were. (laughs) Yeah. And so out of those two people in the car, I guess this is a good way to say the story is one of those friends he wasn't really committed. So he went back to New York. His mother passed away. That was really devastating for him. He switched to crack. Mm, That lasted about three months. They found his body uh, in a walk up in the Bronx and, uh, you know, God bless. And then my other friend who always seemed to have this unbelievable, uncanny ability to just hone in and find situations that worked. He's Still, the road manager for a very famous band that we met on our first day there when they were just forming. Yeah, I'm not going to name drop or anything, but I got to thank you on one of the all-time best-selling, probably the best-selling rock album of all time. And it was just an insane ride. And so I got a wonderful field training into into the world of addictions, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yep, up close and personal. Yeah, yeah. So while that was going on, I knew it wasn't sustainable on some level. So Mm -hmm. I was also studying with this Chinese guy who was basically keeping me alive. And when I got sober, I'll fast forward after several fits and starts, I started seeing Wang Yu of the Chinese Life Force Institute in 1988. And so 1994, that's six years worth of fits and starts. But that's when I finally got sober Mm -hmm. and I went full steam into Chinese medicine. And that's when I got my degree. And Mm. how does this stuff keep you sober? You know, I was reading all these stories, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't a lot of information. And there were a lot of holes in the systems. Mm -hmm. So I'll just leave it at that for now and let you take it from there. Mm. So did you do any 12 step? I went to two meetings. (laughs) And they felt like Catholic school to me in the sense of thou shalt not. And right. one guy, now this all said, it didn't work for me. I've had hundreds of my clients who it's worked for them and right. I work with them. And like you said, many ways to the top of the mountain. It's like, yep. oh, you're working on step three? Well, guess what? We call it this. It's perfect. Right. Great. Wonderful. Yep. But one of the guys at the first meeting did me a tremendous favor by laughing in my face asking me the question, well, what do you think you're special? Wow. And I said, yes. Yeah. 
to which he just laughed. And Mm -hmm. you're giving me a memory right now, which is Mm -hmm. one of the foundations for my work, which is that it's about these paradoxes. There are these polarities that are true at the same time. Yes. And very quickly, I am completely unique. And when I work with people, I honor that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the beauty is addiction is boringly predictable. That's what I tell my clients, too. I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen, not because I'm a mind reader, but because addiction is so fucking predictable. Oh, yes, exactly. The beauty of Chinese medicine, the one particular aspect that I've fallen in love with, which is the five element system. Mm -hmm. It's about just observing the cycles of nature. And Mm -hmm. they've been doing it for 5,000 years. They kind of got Mm -hmm. a little experience. And my unique contribution is, hey, well, you know what? If you've been looking at this for 5,000 years and you're noticing that there's these cycles and addiction is a cycle, well, then it should fit. And that's my work. How does that happen? How do we break down every single part of the cycle? And then working with a client, where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? So we can Mm -hmm. leverage the strengths. And when you do that, the whole cycle starts to fall apart. So it's right. really a wonderful thing to be a part of and to watch. And when you talk about the paradoxes, so I am a member of Al-Anon and I found it really, really helpful. And I find, you know, Al-Anon's different. My life is not as threatened by my Al-Anonisms as somebody's addiction is threatening to them. So I first want to give that caveat. And I feel like Al-Anon, because of that reason, is able to give more space to those dichotomies. Also, I guess I want to say, too, that the way that the 12 steps are intended to be practiced does give space for that. But the way that people practice them because of the Christian roots that we have very much so in this country, that's where it becomes problematic, where people live in that binary of either or. Yes. And I feel like that's where if I have a client who has a sponsor who's very rigid about that, you know, that's where I have a problem because I think that's my job then to kind of come in the middle and be like, okay, yes. So I hear what this person is saying and here's how we can frame it so that it can fit in a way that helps you understand. For instance, I had a client who was doing his fourth step and um, had a lot of childhood trauma. And as he was doing the fourth step, it was just it was traumatizing him to the point where I didn't know if he was actually bipolar or if he was just reacting from trauma. And it turns out it was trauma. Mm. And luckily, he had a sponsor that knew enough about mental health that said, hey, let's just do your fourth step from age of 21 on so that we won't capture any of that trauma. And I felt like that was such a really brilliant way to use what is amazing about 12 step, but for his unique situation. Wonderful. Exactly. That is a perfect way of saying, yes, it's unique. And the beauty of something like the 12 steps is that it is so malleable. And Mm -hmm. like you said, if you get a skilled practitioner, they can do the interpretation Mm -hmm. for the client instead of pounding that square peg into a round hole. Right. So I want to ask you this other thing, too, because what I feel like I have seen and I want to be really cautious about how I explain this. So you're on Instagram, so I'm sure you're seeing what I'm seeing. But there's a lot of Insta celebrities raving about sobriety and, you know, they're a sober advocate and all of these things where they're out there advertising all of this. 
And I've seen actually people fairly close to me do it. And the judgmental part of me says, you're doing it wrong. And the higher self part of me says, you're doing something that's causing yourself harm. And I can tell this isn't really coming from an authentic place. This is coming from the ego place, which is where your addiction came from in the first place. And I fear this is going to lead to use again. And I'm just curious if you're seeing any of that or have seen it even in your work with clients and whatnot. Just curious what you're seeing out there. Great insight. And Sarah, I think that you're hitting on something that is just so indicative of our times. Mm -hmm. I don't think that what you're talking about is any different than what's ever been out there ever. Mm. (laughs) It's Mm. just so magnified. And like you said, the insta celebrity. And I love the way you're cautious with your language because it is so powerful. And I spent so much time working on language Mm -hmm. and yes, even people who have gotten advice from other professionals, I got to tiptoe and be like, yeah. well, you know, what do you think about that? And right, well, right. what do you take away from that? And mm-hmm. uh, so there are so many screaming red flags right. out there and they make it screaming. It's just like, you know, I'm a bad example, but I'm very loud. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> that's perfect. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? And who am I? Because maybe that's exactly what some people need at that mm-hmm. particular time. Right. Probably right. won't be my client, but if it is, right. we can talk about it. And how does that help you? Wonderful. That's great. Mm-hmm. And you know what else is great too, is that your insight, many clients can have, and they can come right. back, they'll come back to me and be pissed off. They'll yeah. be like, look at this. And I'm, yeah, look at that. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Go back to that, what you were saying earlier about, you yeah. know, the ego strength where maybe it gives them a little, hey, this is outraging me. Right. Yeah. And the ability to then stand in opposition to that if it's not serving them. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you, because you said as you were going through all of this, that sometimes a practitioner will say something that is not on point. And I also want to give voice to that because it's not just people with addiction issues. It's all of us. Right. And the reason I started this podcast is because I do a lot of speaking gigs. And as I've met more therapists, I realize there are a lot of people not doing their work. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but I mean that in like, if we are supposed to be helping people, we have to be helping ourselves. And I've definitely heard stories of therapists doing things where I'm like, what the fuck? That's not even a thing that ever should be done. Like one one person came to one of my staff members and said, yeah, my therapist and I would basically trade off. I would talk for 30 minutes and then she would talk for 30 minutes. I was like, but that, no, that's not, that's not how therapy works. <laughs> yeah, I can't defend bad therapy, right. bad advice in any way, shape or form. And that goes back to that first thing you said is, okay, do I try to just use a sword of truth here and with a clean fell swoop, just brush right in and say, no. Or Mm -hmm. is this the kind of person where it's kind of like, well, all right, you're in love with this idea. So Mm -hmm. how then do we start to extricate and get to a place of maybe just a little bit better? Right. I don't know. It's all a dance. It really is all a dance for me. It is. It is. And it never ends. Like you said, the work on ourselves. Yeah. People look at me and go, oh, Randy, you know, 24 years, you know, huh? how do you do that? It's like, man, it's just a number. 
Mm-hmm. And just because the cessation of the drugs of choice or activities of choice have stopped, mm-hmm. congratulations. Right. Now we can begin. Right. Exactly. That's what I tell everybody. I'm like, stopping using is the easy part. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm 100% with that. That was the easy part. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what I hear you describing, too, is a call for people to really look at what is emotional sobriety, not just the cessation. Yes. And I like to break things down. Like I I love models. Mm -hmm. So awareness, connection, experience, and practice. And so those are the four things I give to people every week Mm -hmm. for homework. And so how do you put, great, you had this light bulb go off. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Now go give yourself an experience of it, connect with other people about it, and put it into practice. Mm -hmm. I've known people that are addicted to the light bulbs, if you know what I mean. It's like, oh, yeah, we have this therapy, and then I'm going next week, I'm going, I'm going to fly to, you know, wherever, and I'm going to immerse myself in this, and then I'm going here. It's like, dude, you got to take that experience and now bring it back into your life and the work of integration. Integrate. Yeah, that's literally what my therapist and I talked about this morning. I'm having a lot of light bulbs right now. And she's like, you don't need to put words around it. You just need to integrate. She's like, I'm seeing weaving. Just let it weave. <laughs> Love that word weave. Mm-hmm. So let's start the healer talk. Are you a healer? Yeah, this is one of those questions you warned you about. <laughs> you warned me about. And, you know, I tend to not try to do homework. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to pretend, you know, it's like a little kid sticking your fingers in your ears going blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I don't, don't want to know. Let's see how it lands with me right now. You right. know what? Healer's great. Healer's awesome. Why not? Awesome. That's actually is a great subject in that there's so much on Instagram and, and in this world today, even coaching. Mm-hmm. And healer is a non-regulated term. You know, right. you could you could be a healer in anything. Right. And you could be the most credentialed person and call yourself a healer. And you mm-hmm. could just have a whole bunch of experience. One of my favorite healers, one of my favorite therapists that I've ever worked with personally, had absolutely no schooling. Hmm. But he had a ton of gravitas and he was released from prison for murdering a man in a bar fight. Wow. And just carried himself in this way. And mm. he sat down in this group and I, and I just didn't know what it was about this guy. And he just started speaking. And I'm like, I want me some of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yes, healer, all for it. Love it. Good. Every time I ask this question, the thing that separates whether people can buy into it or not is usually that kind of piece that you're talking about, like of, is there like an authenticity to my work? Am I also recognizing that I'm not the one who does the healing? It's I'm a conduit or I'm making space for the healing or I am leading somebody to their own stuff. And it's funny because as soon as you started talking about the guy who had no credentials and no schooling instantly like my solar plexus was like like that scares the shit out of me but it's only because of the fear of somebody misusing their power and the only reason i feel like we do need regulation is because there need to be measures in place to punish people who use their power inappropriately 
But I totally agree with you that some people just have the gift. You know, like people ask me all the time, like, can you turn off that therapist part of yourself? And I say, no, because I was born this way. I just had to go to school to get more of the basics and basically learn how to say shitty things in a really nice way. That's what my degree was for. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you're a healer, I'm guessing wounded healer probably applies. A wounded healer definitely applies. I don't know how you could be a healer without being a wounded healer since I know. I think we're, we're all wounded and it's just a matter of how much we are in touch with that wound and some people take the wound and turn it into a gift mm -hmm. and some people take their wound and hide it behind those walls yeah. so that nobody ever wounds me again. I'm just really thinking about awakening and the stuff that gets in the way of awakening. And I feel like it's shame and denial is the barrier to experiencing shame. Like I want to figure out what is that thing that separates the people who get it and the people who don't get it in this lifetime. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I love to ask big, big questions that aren't even real questions. So just whatever the fuck you want to say, basically. <laughs> Here's the topic. Discuss. That is a real question. I love it. It's amazing. And who said that quote about, well, if, if you're trying to solve a problem that you can answer in this lifetime, Mm -hmm. You're not picking the right problem. Mm. I'm not sure who said that, but I love that one. Yeah. So, yes, big question. They're good. And people say to me, it's like, well, Randy, you got this whole theory. You do this thing. Well, you know, who, who doesn't have trauma, abuse, heartbreak, and loss? We all do. So how come I'm an addict and he's not? How come some people right. get it and don't? Right. And, well, I draw things on the board and I make my little model and I say, it's pretty simple. And they say, really? It's simple? How does it work? So I'll use the same model of that pericardium and the walls around the heart in mm -hmm. that if we make that choice after the trauma, the abuse, the heartbreak and the loss, because it happens to everyone mm -hmm. and we can't judge another person's trauma versus my loss, you know, right. well, they've had this happen. So I don't really have anything. My no, 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 no. It doesn't right. work that way. The heart is broken. Mm -hmm. And. Who cares how that happened? This is one of those things that is the same for everyone. When the heart's broken, the heart's broken. So it's how we respond to that. And you talked about shame. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, to use a metaphor here, shame is going to be the cement that is in the walls around the heart. Mm. So I think the difference of what happens is this, that as a human, I like to say that the trauma, the abuse, the heartbreak, the love is like a meteor coming in and boom, we're one way before, we're another way after, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. it. So that happens to everybody. The walls go up because we say we don't want that to ever happen to me again, period, bottom line, mm -hmm. ouch. That's still human. Everybody's still on the same page there. Now what happens is this, is it my fault mm. and how I personalize that? And mm -hmm. if I am not able to express what happened to me, can I go to my parents, for example, and say, hey, this thing just happened to me from this big guy did this to me. And if I'm able to immediately or years later be able to talk about the incident in a way that allows me to express that energy that got mm -hmm. shoved down in there, then health happens. 
But Mm -hmm. if I do not express it and then the shame comes in and go, well, you know what? Ma said I shouldn't have been playing in the woods anyway. Right. I shouldn't have been wearing that short skirt. So, you know, all of a sudden now it switches into I deserve it. It's my fault. And this idea of the trauma gets connected to I. So mm-hmm. it's no longer I had a bad thing happen to me, right. but it's I am bad. Yep. So for me, when somebody comes in and says, you know, I am bad, as opposed to I had this bad thing happen to me, it's how do we be able to go from that one position to the other with the awareness, with connection experience and a practice? That's the difference between the two people. And the one person that is locked into the I am bad, so therefore I just have to keep doing what makes it not so bad. And this is where addiction gets really funky because what if I'm bad because I didn't make enough money and I wasn't able to protect my family? So then as I grow up, Mm -hmm. well, guess what? Now I'm a CEO. So what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. So the addiction then gets so hooked into positive stuff like making cash, protecting the family. And there's no way I'm giving that up. So stay away from me. And you asked a big question and I threw a lot of spaghetti on the wall, but I slice up the people and I will Mm -hmm. point it right out to the person and I'll say, which one of these two people do you want to be? Yes. And... I'm thinking about, because shame is one of the things that I've done a lot of work with. There's something about, because yes, personalizing and every single person I've ever seen with addiction, 100% has shame. And those of us who don't end up with an addiction can have shame as well. I guess it's just, honestly, part of it is luck. Whatever you stumble on as your medicator of choice, I chose perfectionism. And, you know, like you say, the guy who becomes a CEO, he chooses work and some people end up choosing a substance that could just kill them quicker. Right. Because my perfectionism has brought me to my knees, has given me suicidal thoughts. It's hurt me quite a bit, but not as aggressively as if I were using drugs the way I've used perfectionism. And I love that the way you just articulated that. And that's why when I do groups, I start to whisper and I say, guys, come here, come on in. You know, we're lucky. We're lucky that we're the fucked up ones. Yeah. We're lucky that we have a group that we can talk to about it. Mm -hmm. We're lucky that we've made our acting out so obvious (laughs) that something must be done about it. Yeah. And the flip side of that, of course, is this other tightrope of we're walking between life and death. Yeah. And you brought up perfectionism. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't see a difference in the pain that somebody experiences Mm -hmm. between heroin addiction and like you just talked about your perfectionism. It brought you to your knees. It brought your suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. We're all the same in that sense. Like you said, we're the lucky ones. I truly believe that people who end up addicted and in treatment It's a second chance at life. And it's literally your body and your soul telling you, hey, you're on the right road. I need you to go down this path instead because you have something really important to contribute. Because nobody really knows the perfectionism shit that goes on in my head. I just happen to say it out loud because I know other people can relate to it. But I could certainly keep it to myself and nobody would know. And I could 
easily not do my work and not be on the path that actually like leads to helping people. But with addiction, (laughs) you can't. Everybody sees it. You're causing havoc all over the place. And you have this opportunity then to get on the path that's really what's aligned with your higher self. And it's funny when I say that in treatment centers, like half of the people are like, oh my God, that's amazing. And half the people are like, lady, you're smoking crack yourself. What is wrong with you? (laughs) But I keep saying it. (laughs) And you know what? It doesn't matter what you say. Half the side will say one thing and the other half. (laughs) Right. But Sarah, can I ask you a question? Yeah. If you don't mind divulging something a little personal. Sure. Has your perfectionism given benefits to you in your professional life? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. So this is a perfect example of Mm -hmm. that continuum of addiction to where, why would you want to look at it if you've got, quote unquote, all these benefits that are paying off? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which actually puts you in that particular, if we can call it addiction, disharmony, we would call it in Chinese Mm -hmm. medicine, puts you in a more disadvantaged position because you may not want to look at it. It hasn't caused obvious problems. Right, exactly. I think it's probably our musical background, but disharmony, I think I'm going to have to title the episode that because there's such a, did you see A Star is Born? No, not yet. I'm old enough to remember the first one. So yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Did you know the first one was actually in the 30s, that the Barbara Streisand one was the second one? I did not know that. I just found that out. Thank you, Spotify. They have little lyric things. Anyway. So I'm watching A Star is Born, and I'm just thinking about this term disharmony, and there's still something really beautiful about heartbreak and about darkness and these things that bring us to the edge. There's like this dark part of me that's really called to that, like a moth to a flame. But at the same time, I guess I have some sort of enough resilience to not let myself get destroyed by it. I don't know. Again, just kind of throwing words out there. But there's something artistic because disharmony, like, I don't know. I'm saying random things. What do you think about that? (laughs) I love it. And I've got another one of my models in my head. And so, okay, two things. Think of the Mm -hmm. word capacity. Mm -hmm. I love the word capacity. Okay, three things. And that idea of being drawn to the darkness, I can't tell you how many people in addiction talk about that. Right. I'm sure you know. Yep. And then here's the model that I throw on the board, and I call it the graph of expression. So you got your basic sign graph, right? You got your X, Y coordinates, and you got a little up and a little down, mm-hmm. and you got the flat line in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. This also leads then into the talk with an asterisk about prescription medication, but we Mm -hmm. don't need to go there right now. (laughs) So my point that I propose to people is, if you can't go down, you can't go up. Mm -hmm. And it is exactly yin-yang. Your ability to go down is equivalent to your ability to go up. If you cannot go down into the depths, Mm. and I label that darkness grief, for lack of a better term, not depression. Yeah. It's different. Not depression, grief, and the ability to grieve. That's two different things. Yeah. Your ability to go down there and be human and to experience the depths of the human condition, because guess yeah. what? The loss is coming. Mm-hmm. Heartbreak is coming. It doesn't matter how much you build those walls 
people, pets, dreams are going to die. That's the way it is. And this is a whole podcast worth of stuff just in and of itself in in this society, our inability to grieve, to look at grief. Oh, yeah. So if you can go down there and you can go to the depths of the well of grief, then and only then can you go up and achieve ecstasy, bliss. And people get it and they shake their heads and they go, yeah. And I go, and guess what? I've been lying to you the whole time. (laughs) They are the same thing. When you get to that place, I propose to you that your desire, whatever's pulling you to those depths is the same source that is pulling you to ecstasy, that is pulling you to the light. They're the same thing. Yeah. That encapsulates the wounded healer. Boom. Boom. We just solved all the world's problems. You're welcome, everyone. (laughs) And you do this every week. Boom. Boom. That'll be $150. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm just kind of sitting in that for a minute because that's it. I have nothing more to say because that's it. Capacity. And well, okay, I'll put the line on top and this is from one of my teachers, Martin Praetel. He's a wonderful Mayan shaman living in uh, New Mexico mm. right now, written a number of books. But he calls it the tortilla client. And <laughs> now I'm not going down there. I'm not drawn to any darkness. What are you, what are you crazy? I'm right. not going. But they offer them the perfect, they don't get excited at anything. It's the, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. Right. Everything's okay. It looks like, you know, your cat just died. I didn't like that cat anyway, you know. Right. So the tortilla person, and that's where the whole discussion then comes in. Randy, Mm -hmm. you got any Chinese herbs? Because since I got out of treatment, uh, I've been taking these medications, which, by the way, can be amazing, absolutely Mm -hmm. life-changing, bettering. And at some point, maybe I don't want to stay a tortilla forever. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that's another one of those dances. And that's a big subject, too. But Right. I feel like, too, the tortilla client, which is really funny. So I find those people who are using for pleasure, using for just a desire to feel something, for excitement. And then I find there's the other side of folks who are using to numb the pain. And that goes back to Buddhism, right? Like craving and aversion. So it's interesting because you have to treat those two differently because it's a different problem underneath that has the same symptom. I propose that yes, and they're the same thing. No, you're right. Because as soon as I said that, I was like, no, no, no. But there's still there's still something inside that the emptiness creates that craving or aversion anyway. So yeah. Right. But to the client, they may see it as one of those extremes or the other. Right. I was what you call a garbage pail. And well, (laughs) what are you addicted to? I don't know. What do you got? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But to fuel the excitement of being on stage, Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. love cocaine and alcohol. So, you know, a Molotov cocktail, just throw it up there. Just let's blow stuff up. (laughs) It couldn't go fast enough or weird enough for me. So that idea of excitement definitely would be the moth to the flame of what, you know, I would check the box. But then, like you just said, where does that come from? Right. The deep emptiness and the avoidance of feeling all that pain. Mm. Dude, we've talked about a lot of things in this hour, and I'm almost sad that we have to end this. 
but indeed i know well we're friends now like you're stuck with me but is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure to say to people one of the things that i'm looking forward to in this coming year and we touched on through the emails is I don't want to say aftercare because my salesperson just said, Randy, we need to call it continued care. Continu- I don't like right. Aftercare. Yeah. A. Sam does not like you to use aftercare. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like that. Continued. One of my things in this next coming year, New Year's resolution that's coming is continued contact. So mm-hmm. I would love as Chicago is on my list to be able to stop by and meet you in person, maybe do one of these in person, maybe not in your closet. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> mean to give away that secret. <laughs> yeah, we can find a bigger venue than my closet, but I would love yeah, yeah. that. That's one of the things I want to do too, is connecting with people that I've had on the podcast and doing something together. So if you want to come here, I can totally hook you up. Awesome. And that's the thing is to, I want to build these little nodes web of connection, get the acupuncture school and different institutions and uh, practitioners involved and be able to stop in a couple times a year and teach my classes in these cities and just to keep continuing to build that kind of community because Mm -hmm. for as wonderful as connecting with you has been during this time, Sarah, I also like sitting down and pressing palms, kissing babies and seeing the face. Right. That would be my parting shot. I'm in. Well, Randy, this has been fantastic. I super duper appreciate it. I just love these random connections. I am so grateful I started this podcast because I just get to have amazing conversations with people all the time. And I love listening to them. And it's been an honor and a pleasure to be this guest today for it. So thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you, Randy. I am so appreciative of Randy for being on the show today. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for that amazing album art photo, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. For more information on Randy, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks so much. Until next time. Bye-bye.